0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: All right, here we go. Thank you so much for joining us for another week of Take Two in politics. Just when you thought you were done hearing from the gubernatorial candidates, we have one last one here, uh, Thomas Wright joining us. Our final candidate to listen to. We're after the convention, but things are still exciting right now. So... Tell me a little bit about uh, how the convention process felt to you because it obviously wasn't the in real life excitement. There were uh, no cheers or jeers for you. So you couldn't really feel what was going on.
0: It was definitely a different uh, convention cycle. You know, I would have much preferred to have live caucuses and had my supporters go out and run to be delegates and had them at the convention. Uh, but that didn't happen because of the pandemic. And there's certainly way more important things related to people's health and safety the economy and their businesses. It would have been nice, and I love the caucus convention system. It would have been great to stand up on that stage and look at the delegates face to face and have them feel my energy and my passion, and to have them get to know me better. Uh, but it, you know, it wasn't to be. So you make the best out of the situation that you have. We did that, and uh, you know, it was hard. It's hard to hold Zoom meetings and share your views. You can't look people in the eye. You you know you get you don't get to read their body language. You don't get a sense for where they are and how they're reacting to you. But again, you just do the very best you can. And, and we did that. And I applaud the party for putting on a great convention.
1: So uh, fourth place finish, where were you hoping to be?
0: Well, basically ended up being a tie for three. I mean, three, four, five, I think we separated by 40 votes. It, I, you know, I, I, of course, when you compete in an endeavor, you wanna win, right? I don't compete for anything other than winning. So you know, it wasn't the result that we were looking for. Uh, sometimes things don't, don't turn out the way that you want. Uh, but we were, we were very enthusiastic to have 500 of the delegates place us as their number one choice. And we had a lot of support. We had a lot of support coming out of the convention. And again, you know, we didn't get to choose our delegates. I haven't been campaigning for more than what, four months. Some of the candidates in the race have been campaigning for years. And so, you know, you do the best you can with the hand you're dealt. We did that. Congratulations to those that did well. We wanted to do better, uh, but we still have the primary and that's always been the focus.
1: So I want to talk about the focus and what happens going on from here in just a second. But this year has been an exciting year in that we've had so many good candidates to talk about. And as we go into this primary, there are a lot of good candidates still on the ballot, people who have a lot of rank name recognition, or like you said, may have been running for years or been in office for years. Why did you pick to get in at this time? Because there are so many big names, yourself included, but there's a lot of names.
0: It's a fair question. I got in because I hear the three opponents that I have, and look, they're my friends, I like them, I know them, I've known them for a long time. Uh, but And they have a lot of great ideas, but my question for them is they've had 15 years in public office and some of the highest ranking seats in state government. And why didn't they make some of those things happen when they had the chance? I believe that they've had their chance to serve. I appreciate what they've done. I give them my, you know, my utmost respect and thanks but I believe it's time for a new perspective and a new direction. It can't be the same people just handing the baton of power back and forth to each other year over year. We have a lot of qualified people in this state. I'm not from government, I've never held public elected office, but I know how the system works, but I bring business experience and executive experience and I think it's time for a change of direction. It's time for someone new to sit in the governor's seat, to make the tough decisions, and to be able to say no, because I don't owe anyone anything. I haven't been around long enough to be entangled in all these past fights that do have carryover. And these these candidates that I'm running against have a lot of that.
1: So what do you do moving forward? We've got a June primary, so technically not that long before this race will ultimately be decided. Uh, What does the right Bishop ticket do? I've seen some great commercials where there's a vast difference in height and hair, but how do you get your message out to the people to the point where they say, this is my candidate of choice?
0: Well, we've had some fun ads and we've had some serious ads. What we have to do is continue to build name ID. We have to make sure that people know who I am. We have to make sure they know what we stand for, that we are fiscal conservatives, that we're headed into one of the most serious economic times ever, that I have executive business experience. I built my business during the great recession. So my leadership experience was forged during brutal economic times. And we need somebody in the governor's office that knows how to connect with small business so that we can get the 135,000 Utahns that have filed for unemployment back to work, and we can support small businesses to make sure that they get back on their feet as quickly as possible. And so a business person, somebody that's never held elected office, that doesn't owe anyone anything, can come in on day one and make the tough decisions that will get Utahns back to work.
1: Uh, Right now, when you said, owe anyone anything, it brought me to a topic I wasn't going to talk about until later, but right now, there's been a lot of talk about hydroxychloroquine and who bought it, who said you could pay for it, who made the deal? Was there the good old boys club involved? Is that always going to be a part of politics? Or do you really think you go into office and say, you know what, I'm going to do this without, you know, doing favors to the people that uh, I said I would that maybe helped my campaign or did. I'm not saying that happened here. But there's a lot of questions about how exactly this went down. Who was friends with who? And were they giving them deals because they were friends?
0: Look, there's a lot of great people in state government, but when you have the same people there for 15 years, they tend to get comfortable. And when people get comfortable, things can be overlooked and they can be mismanaged. And that's what happened here. $800,000 is a lot of money. It's taxpayer money. And I can tell you what I do in my business and this is where executive skill set really matters. I have multiple people signing off on expenditures, but the buck stops with me at the end of the day, after both of those people have signed off and it comes to my desk, I'm the one that ultimately decides. And I'm the one that has to be held responsible in my business. And that's the same way we have to treat government. The idea that it's too big and that it can't be managed and that we, we can't know everything that's going on is not acceptable. We need to make sure that every purchase is analyzed and scrutinized and that it's meeting the priorities of Utahns. I think sometimes government has a tendency to think that it's their money, but it's taxpayer money. And as a CEO, I will use that money in a sacred trust to meet the priorities of Utahns. And so for me, that was a really troubling thing. I think there should be more details released on it. I'd like to know how it happened. If the governor and lieutenant governor didn't know, uh, then who did know and who signed off on it? Because that's something that should be made known, not to embarrass the person who did it so that it will never happen again. And Heidi, I wanna make it really clear. When I'm governor, I will scrutinize purchases. The buck will stop with me and I will always know the movement of that kind of money.
1: It is a lot of money and as we move forward here, uh, whoever takes over as governor is really probably going to have to tighten the purse strings and make sure they know where the money's going. Not that you don't always have to, but obviously we don't have the same tax money coming in. Even six weeks in the economy, which will lead to 8 and 10 and 12 right now with the pandemic going on, means a lot less money for the state to be spending. We're talking to everyone about the economy and what they would do. Do you have any specific ideas of what you think you would like to see done to get the state of Utah back up and running again?
0: Well, this is why it's such an important uh, election because it's important to elect somebody who can go in on day one, make the tough decisions, cut the budget. They don't owe anyone anything. They can make decisions that are best for the taxpayers. Look, before the pandemic, I was saying that as governor, the very first thing I'll do is go through the budget line by line. And we'll ask, is this something that we need to be spending money on? And if it's not, it needs to be cut. If it is, then it needs to be scrutinized. How do we do it better? How do we do it more efficiently? How do we make sure that there's no fraud, waste, or abuse? And we need to do that in every department of state government. And I plan to do that as governor. I'm good at it. I've done it for years. I've spent the last 15 years staring at financial statements every day, knowing that the decisions I make affect the families of the people that work for me and my customers and clients. And so I'm good at that. That is my skill set. And what better time to elect a governor that has that skill set than now? We don't need somebody that's been in government to be looking at those financial statements and making those hard decisions. We need somebody that's been doing it, that's trained to do it, and that can look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Because sometimes Heidi, we've had great people in state government, and the people that have served before now have done a great job, and I want to thank them. But sometimes when you've been there a long time, you you lose your ability to see the details and you lose your ability to say hey there's probably a better way to do that. We know in America ingenuity and innovation is who we are, but we need to elect new people that have those skill sets so that we can utilize them for our, for the greater good.
1: Let's talk about what you do when you're not running for office then. Everyone wants to know what's the background, what makes you qualified? Tell me about your business. How many people work for you? Have you been able to keep them on during this pandemic? Have you had to lay people off? What's happening in your business?
0: Yeah, I built my, I I run a real estate brokerage. We help people buy and sell homes. I have about 55 employees and about 200 real estate agents under my care in Utah, started basically at zero and now have 14 offices around the state of Utah. Uh, I'm proud of the company I built. I built it with my team, built it with a lot of talented people. Uh, So many of our competitors say it couldn't have been done. Uh, They didn't give us much of a chance to succeed. It kind of feels familiar. And we succeeded because we had a vision. We stuck to it. We worked hard. And these are tough economic times. So I understand what small businesses are going through. I know what it's like to go to bed worrying about making your payroll or wondering if you can make your lease payments. I know what it's like to have your volume take a hit. I've had to close all of my offices during this pandemic. So I can relate to small business owners. I can relate to the challenges they're going through. And I have to deal with those challenges. And I've had to manage my business through the tough times. And this is the second time I've done it because I built my business during the great recession. So we're doing well and we're continuing to fight to create innovative ways to service our clients, to connect with them using safe social distancing and using disinfecting practices and still try to maintain doing business and serving our clients. So you need that kind of grit and innovation and you really only can get it in the private sector. Uh, It's so competitive and it refines your skills as a business person.
1: Have your offices had to use those PPP loans to keep running during this tough time?
0: We're evaluating that as every business owner is and making sure that we're using all the resources to maintain our our, our business during these really tough times. It, it's it's as, an option that's on the table for everyone.
1: Um, as we move forward here, things are starting to get rolling here and opening slowly here in the state of Utah today and uh, more coming up next week. Does this feel right? The openings that we're doing right now, if you were in charge, would you be doing it differently? Keeping everything closed, opening everything at once? What would your plan be?
0: Well, I believe that personal responsibility is the most important thing. Um, I, you know, in Utah, we have not had a mandatory stay at home order where we're in the only states that hasn't. And I believe in personal responsibility. I believe that Utah's are astute, they're responsible. They wanna do the right things. And when you educate people in Utah as to the, the, the contagiousness of coronavirus, the safety and health challenges, the pressure it puts on our hospitals, uh, the challenges we have with personal protective equipment, challenges we've had without having any testing or not enough testing, Utahns wanna do the right thing. They're smart and they're responsible. And government it's not government's role to outline every specific situation. It's government's responsibility to do their best to manage through times like this by educating the public and asking them to be responsible. And Utahns are responsible, we've seen that. And that's why all things considered, I know there's a lot of challenges out there and there's been some deaths and sicknesses and there's a lot of people unemployed. Utah is doing better than most places because we have people that understand personal responsibility.
1: There has been some division. If you look at social media at all, it's somewhat exhausting lately. It is somewhat on a regular basis. But right now it seems like everything is political, whether you wear a mask, don't wear a mask, whether you should be researching hydroxychloroquine, buying it, not buying it. Everyone's picking sides here. And there's some people who are saying, I refuse to wear a mask in public. I'm not going to do it. Should this be a political thing or is it just choice and do what you think is best for your family?
0: Well, look, it's back to personal responsibility. We need to make sure that we educate people and that we don't take away their freedom and liberty. But I personally wanna make sure that I do my my part to take care of myself, to take care of my family, to reduce the spread. But personal responsibility is the foundation of our country. And we don't need to compel people to do the right thing uh, through regulations and executive orders. We just need to make sure that people understand what the challenges are, what they're being encouraged to do, and then allow them the personal responsibility and the freedom and liberty to choose what they think is best. I don't wanna armchair quarterback what's happened, but I do believe in personal responsibility. For example, with clean air, I've gone around the state during pre-pandemic and also through Zoom going around the state, and I have tried to educate citizens on cold starts, trip chaining, all these things that were new to a lot of people, and they always leave so empowered and so excited to go home and try some new things. I just believe in in human goodness and I believe in the citizens of Utah and if we educate them correctly, they'll step up to the plate and they'll do the right thing.
1: Do you think that maybe this pandemic will help us in a few areas like clean air? i for one have been one who's been driving to work every day, but there's been very little traffic. The air feels clean. Everything feels nice. Will we learn that maybe we don't have to drive to work every day and some of us can work from home if possible or maybe take less trips or fewer? People are saving on gas and I guess this is not the best time of year to see if there's inversion or not but hopefully people are noticing that things are different when we don't do the same things we've always done
0: I think that's been one of the silver linings to this really difficult situation is the acceleration and the adoption of technology I mean look at us Heidi here we are in two remote locations Uh, you're going to use some of this footage maybe on tv you're recording a podcast Uh, we have the technology we have the capability to do this And and look how many people are able to do that where maybe four or five weeks ago, not very many people could have figured that out, maybe ourselves included. And so now here we are, and we see that there's so much that's possible with technology that you can tell commute, you can work from home. And so I I think it's one of the silver linings that there's so many things that we can do differently and more efficiently and more effectively. And I do think it'll be one of the lasting uh, consequences, so to speak, of the coronavirus when we finally get through this really difficult situation.
1: We'll be watching that closely, and I think the one the time that we'll know we've gotten maybe through the difficult situation is when we can fill the Jazz Arena again or Real Salt Lake or Hell Center Theater or Tuacon, or the Shakespeare Festival. If you have a magic ball, is that going to happen in the next couple of months, or is it going to be a long road for us here in Utah?
0: You know what? I'm an optimist. We're going to get through this. Americans always do. That's just our hallmark. We step up during tough times. We take care of each other. We do the right thing because we want to do the right thing, because we're trusted to do the right thing. And I, you know what, we're, we're moving from one phase to another now. I believe we're going to be in the green soon. I'm just an optimist. I want to believe that. I wake up re, uh, up every day believing that, praying for that, and hoping for that. So I, I have visuals of us doing all of those things that you just talked about and doing them in a safe way so that we don't have this situation again. But yeah, we're going to get back to normal. I, I do believe that.
1: I love it. Well, it maybe won't normal. look the
0: same, right? It, yeah. it may not look exactly the same, but I do believe we're headed in the right direction.
1: We're heading in the right direction, but not there yet. Before we get there, uh, everyone, I've been asking how it's going at their house. Uh, with homeschooling, seeing your spouse maybe more than you usually do, is everyone getting along in the right household, getting their homework done and uh, not having to go have timeouts in the backyard?
0: <laughs> Good question. Yeah, we're all getting along. I mean, there's there's moments, right, where you're all in the same house and you know Wi-Fi and broadband connectivity and people being loud while other people are on Zoom. So yeah, we're, we're the typical family but it has been so invigorating to watch what school teachers can do. I've watched my daughter um, on Zoom or or WebEx or any of those platforms learning. And these teachers are so amazing. It just proves that we don't need to regulate teachers. We need to deregulate them and allow them to do what they do best. And that is care for our children, love our children and teach our children. They don't need to be told by a bureaucrat in Washington DC how to do that. And they are not just facilitators of technology in the classroom. They are what drive education. And that when we empower them to do that, they're incredible at what they do. I've been totally blown away by that element. Um, and, and that's just another thing that we've learned. There's so many learning lessons to this really difficult situation. I've made a whole list of them. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we can try to be grateful for a really difficult situation and try to find the best in something that's really difficult.
1: So true. But if you ask my kids, our Wi-Fi has to be the worst in the state of Utah. Apparently, we don't have enough bandwidth for all of the homework they want to do. So. Yeah.
0: So you, you can relate to my story, right?
1: Absolutely. Somebody
0: yelling from down the hall, hey, I'm trying to do a homework. Get off. Yeah. I yeah. know. They're like, stop we're streaming.
1: And we're like, none of us are streaming. What's wrong? Apparently, yeah, we need an upgrade. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for spending some time with us. Good luck on the campaign. And we'll be checking in as we get closer.
0: Thanks for having me on, Heidi. It's great thank to be Thank you.
1: Thank you.